This episode of the School of Last podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter Sandy Joy Chadwick. If you'd like to find out how you can support the podcast through a small recurring monthly donation or even a one-time donation, please visit schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Also, if you're interested in taking the online stand-up comedy writing course brought to you by the School of Laughs, you can receive a 20% discount right now off of the Silver Edition. That's right, 20% off just by using the code BETTERCOMEDY at checkout. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the show. Rick Roberts here. Thanks for joining us. And when I say us, I mean me. I don't know why I always use plural when I talk about the podcast. It's me in the office putting it together, uh, editing, all the stuff. So thank you from me. And by me, I mean us. Hey, I've got an interesting episode today. Recently, I had an instant message, I guess you'd call it today, uh, from Facebook from a gal named Jessica Pettit, very funny lady. Uh, she does a ton of great different programs. I met her through the National Speakers Association. Anyway, she was going to do a Zoom call, which is just like Google Hangout or Facebook Live. But what we did is we got on, I think it was 6 a.m. their time out west, and we talked about comedy, about how if you're a speaker, you can find different ways to start introducing comedy into your speeches without putting too much pressure on yourself to be hilarious, uh, with just focusing on being funnier. We talk about different ways we can do that, uh, how you can kind of document stories in a way that you can get them, you know, have them easily accessible so you can write jokes about them. We talk about how to stop heckling from happening, even before it starts, and how to use tension to fuel a laugh. All kinds of great tips. Also joining me on that call was Karen Eddington. Now, Karen, you heard on the podcast a long time ago. I'll link to her episode in the show notes as well. But Karen teaches comedy workshops. She's very funny, and she offers up great tips as well. So I wanted to share that with you today. I got permission from both of them to do that. And uh, this is all going to be about how you can ease in to using humor in your speech or program. If you're an aspiring comedian, I think you'll find uh, several great takeaways in this episode as well. Uh, But just know it's going to be geared more towards the speaker who's trying to figure out how to be funny. Either way, there's something in here for everybody, and I'm looking forward to kicking off the episode right now with Karen Eddington and Jess Pettit. My name is Jessica Pettit, and I am here with two of the funniest people on the planet. And we thought that we would do a recording about possibly punching up your humor, but just working with humor and how that works. And here are some of the best experts. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and how they entered the humor universe. And then uh, we're just going to do some questions and see what happens. So thank you for coming. First up, let's go with Karen. You are magical and head up laugh in essay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up being funny? Oh, good morning, Jess. Hi, I'm Karen Eddington. I do self-worth programs, but I also do comedy as well. And my biggest bit is that I failed. I failed a lot. So don't be afraid to fail. Um, so yeah, there you go. There's a quick, quick, quick intro. Perfect. And where do you live? I am right now in northern Utah, right off a cute little farm watching the sun come up. Oh, that's so great. Cool. Very cool. I'm also saying this because some NSA chapters may want to hook you up for uh, chapter visits and stuff. So you're through the Mountain West chapter. 
Correct. Perfecto. Okay, next up, Rick Roberts. Hey, Rick Roberts here, Nashville, Tennessee. 25 years of stand-up comedy experience, and I also teach comedy classes, which I've done that for about 15 years, and have an online class, and still do the uh, majority of my gigs are stand-up straight up, you know, straight ahead some comedy, but I also do a couple of different keynotes that are heavily humor-based, and that's kind of what I can bring to the table today. Very cool. And which chapter are you with, if they were to find you? In the Tennessee, Nashville chapter. In Nashville. I didn't know if it was in Nashville or Memphis, and it's a it lot. Kind of, it, yeah, it goes between Memphis and Nashville and Chattanooga and Knoxville, depending on who's, what speaker's closest to what. Got me. Super cool. Great. Well, Karen actually supplied us with a couple of questions just to kind of start off with. And so I thought we would just kind of get to as many of those as we can. But I'm sure this happens to y'all all the time, being kind of a funny speaker. Um, I, for me, I think what's interesting is I actually talk about really controversial subjects. But because I have a stand-up background or a funny family background, which I think sometimes is even more important, I can talk about the really controversial stuff because I use so much humor. I thought that this would be a really great kind of panel to talk about like the use of humor, but also how we study humor. Um, do you want to overall kind of talk about how many years you've really been looking at humor as a skill or a craft versus just being a funny person? Well, um, I've actually been speaking since about 2003 and I decided I wanted to be funny, but I didn't know it was a skill then. I just was trying stuff and I bombed. I bombed bad. And so from that point, I spent about six years watching comedians and I would hit the pause button and I would say, what did they just do and why did they laugh? And I was picking up that there was technique behind this, mm -hmm. that there's skill behind it. And it took me those six years of writing it down, writing jokes to notebooks, writing ideas before I ever had the courage to take it to a comedy club and actually try it. And that's when I progressed the most. I know it's so scary sometimes to try new material, but that's what I did. I took it to a comedy club and I failed. <laughs> and then I tried my own show and it it went okay. I tried a couple more shows, but I just kept pushing it. But I realized that there is skills there that we can learn. Yeah, and I think what's important, and Rick, you're up in just a second in case you want to do yours too, but one of the things that I think is so important is that you don't actually need a scheduled open mic night or a scheduled comedy show to practice some of these bits because you're in a grocery store. You go and get gasoline, right? So I think one of the things I always tell people too is in your keynotes or your stories is you should have what I call like the extra small, medium, and large version of that story. So depending on how much time you have in the interaction socially, you can drop one of those in and practice and you'll see when they laugh and when the timing works and when it doesn't work. Um, and you're standing at Costco, so why not practice with the person who's checking out your groceries? Heaven forbid you might actually make them laugh about something. So, Rick, what are you going to say? No, that's great. You know, there's chances every day with every encounter to tweak your little comedy skills and to find, you know, what you did there at Costco or the gas station or wherever you might be. You're reading your audience. You're picking a story that might relate to them. It could be about the situation. It could be about waiting in the line. It could be about bad customer service, whatever it might be. And you're connecting with them. And that's the number one thing you need to do when you hit the stage. You know, we all know that as speakers, but as comedians, you have to build that connection really quickly. You have to find something that's on their level that's, you know, you're not going to the back of the room to entertain the comedians or the other speakers. You're not going above their head to prove you're smart. The smartest thing you can do is connect first and then worry about being funny after that. So a quick story where they don't even realize you started the comedy show yet is kind of the way I approach 
yep. my first minutes on stage, usually it's after a dinner. So I've got jokes about high cholesterol. So I say, hey, have a nice round of applause for the dinner. You know, I couldn't eat all that steak because I got high cholesterol. And I'm, all of a sudden, I'm telling jokes, but they don't even realize it's happened yet. So there's ways to kind of ease humor into different situations. But a lot of those jokes, I will try out, you know, in a crowded elevator with some, some people, you know, make a little comment. Uh, anywhere you might have a chance to get a laugh from strangers, that's where you want to practice because that's what the audience typically is. It's great to bump jokes off your friends, and especially if your friends have done comedy for a long time. But sometimes your friends have no sense of humor, and you might give up on a joke just because that one friend with no sense of humor didn't laugh. So try it with different people, just like Karen said and you said, and get it out there. And if it fails, you've got one experiment done. We figure out how to make it work. But if you never try it, you'll never know. Yeah. When one of the uh, participants at the Northwest chapter that I was just at, uh, during one of the breaks, she had to leave early and she said, um, where do I go to quickly learn how to handle hecklers? So we're kind of talking about when it works, but sometimes it doesn't work. Um, so sometimes it doesn't work in that like I have to raise a flag and tell people like, hey, I just told you a joke, which is generally a sign it doesn't work if you have to explain it. <laughs> yeah, right. But what I told the woman when she asked, how do you, what's a quick way to learn how to handle hecklers? As I told her, you have to be funny more. Like you have to just try it everywhere and you'll, you'll get deadpanned if it doesn't work and if it doesn't work. But sometimes if it does work, a response is a comeback from the audience. But that's what I told her was that that's the practice is you need to, you're setting yourself up for your next joke because you need to know how people are going to respond. Do y'all have uh, heckler stories or ha favorite yeah. handling of heckler stories you'd like to share or give advice to somebody else about handling hecklers? I'll just say when somebody heckles, it's either A, your, your pace is too slow between punch lines, B, their drinks have been too quick between your punch lines and they're getting liquored up, or C, there's a situational heckle. You know, sometimes the sound isn't good. They can't hear you. They're yelling stuff out. Sometimes you're so far away from the audience, they put 40 feet of dance floor in between you and the crowd, and that dance floor is heckling you the entire show. You have no interaction, no um, you're not intimate with that audience. So when something's not going right, I try to quickly figure out, is it the situation? Is it me? Am I too wordy? Or are they, you know, too drunk or whatever it might be if, if they have some drinks? And then I pick a joke that bridges that gap. So say the dance floor is, is the problem or whatever, the distance between the front row, I'll do a joke about that. And it's not your fault you're not getting these jokes. It just takes three hours for them to get there and two hours for the response to get back. So in five hours, this show's going to be hilarious or whatever. <laughs> You know, if they're drinking, I might say, hey, you know, you, it sounds like you're celebrating something special over here more than everybody else. What's going on? And try to meet them where they're at with that situation. And then if I'm being too wordy, then I go straight to my harder hitting bits and pick up the pace and see if I can get them on board that way. So it's, it's not freaking out because the response isn't there. It's identifying it and, and finding that solution quickly to, you know, own the elephant in the room sometimes. Say, this is why it's not working. Let's all make this work. Um, one of the things I've realized is that audiences don't laugh if they're worried for you on stage. You have to show them that you belong on stage. They won't laugh if, if, if you're worried. So one of the best tips is to really love, love what you're doing up there. I think that confidence and that 
owning it makes a huge difference. I learned it in improv because uh, when I took an improv class, I did not have material. I didn't realize I had time to think on stage and I would panic. And someone, someone who was a little more experienced in improv was showing me like terrible jokes. They were doing really bad material, but the way they owned it and the way they loved it, they could sell it to the audience. And so maybe that's part of it is getting on stage and loving your bad jokes love what you're doing um, and and step and show you got to show them that you own that stage if that person out there is heckling step towards them don't step away from them smile at them show them that that you love what you're doing and i think that can help yeah i think what both of y'all really talked about i would i call controlling the space and i don't mean it in like a white woman micromanaging kind of way like you locked down but like what's really happening because what's really happening is actually part of the show. And so this is my show. So this is everything that's happening as part of my show. I think that that what I think it ties together. What both of you are saying really well is you have kind of your, your catalog of jokes, but your catalog of jokes are free floating in the aquarium. All those people are sharing. So if you don't name the elephants and call out the drunk table and like, Talk about like what kind of weird decoration was that on top of the potatoes? Like, was that edible? I ate it. You know, like if you don't do point of reference right now in the aquarium, then your jokes don't fit the space. You're just kind of coming in like boom, boom, boom. And if you don't own it, even if it's not funny, you got to, I totally agree that when you're testing out new material, I would say like 20% of what I say on stage has never fallen out of my face before. But I talk a lot about current events and politics, and now with Twitter, there is no way I can possibly stay on top of stuff. So I'm constantly trying new material. But Rick, what I liked about what you said, and this kind of goes into the next question, is you can try stuff, and it either works or it doesn't work, and then you're going to slay it with something that you use all the time. So can we talk a little bit about um, how we kind of, our styles or methods of cataloging, storing, or documenting material? Or even like when you kind of peek and you see there's something funny there, so you know how to kind of start developing something. For me, typically I'll get ideas when my brain finally has time to rest, which is usually the end of the day or when I'm in the car driving. And so I make sure that I either record the idea right to my phone or make a little note about it and then explore it later and develop a little bit further. Um, outside of that, I'm, I make sure at least once or twice a week, I take all those thoughts out and put them on my whiteboard so that when it, in the office, I'm looking at those ideas and I get a chance to kind of marinate and I can start not only seeing, you know, where am I, I'm going to put myself in the story, which I, is my first tip, I guess, for anybody that wants to be funnier is you could talk about the election, but unless I know why that's important to you, your jokes are just kind of flat and there's kind of staticky, but put yourself in the situation. How is Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton going to affect your life? Or what is something that's going to change for you? Now it makes it more interesting and personable. So I might have a joke idea about maybe a song I heard on the radio. So I'll let it sit there and I'll figure out how, it, how will I put myself in that so that people can connect to it. So that's one little way of cataloging. And then every so often I make sure I, I take everything I've got, put it in my notebook, write it out with my hand, handwriting before I type it in and see how long it is, tighten it up and then hit an open mic or a, anywhere I can go for 20 minutes or so and just let it rip. And then I'll record that show, go back and make notes of what worked, how I said it, and then I'll type that in to my computer, how I said it, they got a laugh. The jokes that I didn't get a big laugh, I won't type that in yet, I'll keep handwriting that. 
and trying it out until I capture it live. And then I'll type in the live version of that. So a couple of different ways to kind of get something out of your brain onto a whiteboard and then in front of an audience. Thanks. Great. I would add, I keep, I know this isn't new, but I keep like notebooks everywhere and I have constantly have ideas and I have kids and so they're always saying something and so I keep notebooks that's where it starts the idea starts in a notebook and then what I do is I sit down at a computer and sometimes I feel it sometimes I'm just in the mode and I feel it and I'll type something out I'll, and I'll try to really look for the punchlines I try to and see i I'm really technical behind the scenes and I know that's how my mind works because that's how I learned. I learned by watching comedians and say, what did they just do? They're doing a reversal. They're doing, they're, they're redefining something right here. And I'm remembering some of those techniques that they do when I sit down and, and write things in. So it makes a difference for me to apply technique to what I have in these notebooks. And then I keep a binder with each set listed in there so that I can refer back to my binder and then I can keep punching it up. So I've got um, version one and then uh, I keep that so that I can remember how it was because sometimes you realize, oh, it really was better in that frame of mind. And then I just flip back and I keep adding to it. So there's one way to catalog information. When we're talking about technique or like, you know, Karen, you mentioned a reversal or things, there's kind of code names in the comedy universe of like a type of joke or a type of use or like the, the pattern of threes or things like this. And if you're not part of the humor community, when we kind of mention those things, people are like, why, I don't, what is a three? I don't understand, stop, what's going on? And you can't like figure it out anymore. And I think it's really important to mention that humor really does impact. So in my language, I talk about head, heart, and action-oriented people. And that really is a technique of using humor. And what I mean by that is, is that there's really intellectual ways of looking at jokes of the timing or the spacing or like when Karen, you talked about pause, the audience is laughing, what just happened? When you start doing that, you will notice patterns of the way that the words are being used. It's funnier if they all come to the punchline themselves, because then the joke's on me because right. they think they just made the joke. But again, right. controlling the space and being able to monitor who's in the audience and what the timing is. Um, so anyway, so uh, Karen, do you want to talk briefly about the uh, handout that you did at your presentation? Because right, I, that's technique. Right. At, at NSA a couple years, I presented Be Originally Funny, the 10 Easiest Jokes to Write. And I listed out some of those techniques. And if you want to go there, you can go to KarenEddington.com slash be funny and you can click that and download the handout and it does have in there it's got some techniques some of the some of the jokes that i got from from looking at comedians and maybe one other thing to start is right at the very beginning like why do people laugh and some of that is in there too but because we we tend to laugh at connecting truth mixed with surprise and our job is to figure out how to add that surprise and those truths and there's there's just some resources on that handout that you can look at Awesome. And Rick, while we're kind of in the middle, do you, uh, we work together on your online curriculum, which for as much stand-up comedy as I've done, etc. what I really liked about your online course is that it actually breaks it down without making me feel stupid. <laughs> super clear and really great examples. Do you want to talk about that a little? Sure. And thanks again for editing that workbook that had about 7 million typos and <laughs> everything else. Um, yeah, you could tell my, my gift is not in typesetting and copywriting, but, um, Mine is. but what I basically did is, you know, I started stand up and I was actually getting work and featuring and, 
you know, the middle guy in the comedy clubs doing 30 minutes and getting paid. To, and I really didn't know why my jokes were funny. And some nights I'd do great. Some nights are 50-50. And then sometimes some jokes that are great would get a 50-50 response. And then the comedy club here in Nashville asked me if I could teach a class on humor. And my first reaction is what most comedians say is like, you can't teach people how to be funny. And then the club owner said, why don't you look at why your jokes are funny? When you're getting a laugh, write down what made them laugh, just like Karen was talking about. And then teach that to people so there's less guesswork and they know immediately what the techniques are. And you can look at your joke or your idea or your story and see if there's any of those techniques in there. And if there's not, you just start putting them on top of the places where they fit. So what I did with that online course is I think there's 40-something videos. They're all short, two to five minutes. And Karen took the online class too, so maybe she can give that perspective from it. I but loved it. Yeah. Thank you. It's, you were the second or third person to take it. And it basically gave you bite-sized bits that you could digest. Uh, there's assignments if you want to actually get feedback from me. There's a level where you can do that. Or you can just go through it at your own pace. And by the end of it, you'll know every single technique that most comics use to get a laugh. And you'll understand why things don't get a laugh. And you can really close that gap on your writing and your humor stuff that's not hitting all the time. Because you can, you, before you even say it, you can look at the paper and see if there's a technique in there. And if there's not, you put it in. And I teach you the 12 or 15 techniques that, that work the best for most people. And that's it. And can I add, I love the energy that I got from Rick's course. Rick also has a free podcast, which is amazing too. But I'm so grateful to be able to, to catch on to his wisdom. I call him Comedy Yoda. So. <laughs> and, uh, Rick, what's the website for your course? P.S. You're a bad plugger. Uh, sure. <laughs> you can go to schooloflaughs.com. Everything's spelled correctly. Schooloflaughs.com. And then look at the online course page. And that'll have the different options for you. There's also a podcast blog link, and there's over 125 podcasts on there on very specific parts of comedy, from overcoming stage fright to, you know, how to dress for the stage, how to get your introduction down right, um, how to brainstorm jokes. There's episodes where we actually throw some joke ideas out, then we go do them and come back and bring the recordings back to the podcast and break down what worked and what didn't. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, those have been really popular. Um, they're usually called uh, new jokes or experimental jokes or whatever. And I'd be happy to send some people some specific links to those episodes if you like. Very cool. And Julianne Sullivan out of Pittsburgh wasn't able to join us today, but she also has a podcast where she's interviewed a number of different funny people or comedians. And um, I'll be sending those links along as well. But um, you can get the, her podcast at juliannesullivan.com. Um, very cool. When uh, One of the things, and Karen, you may be able to talk to this more than Rick, if you are interested, but uh, one of the things that I have done at chapter visits, what? Oh, I'm still here. I think go to Rick. I, I can't hear. Oh, go to Rick. Rick. Hi. Well, I, anyone can listen. So, um, I have a rubric that I do that is, um, down the left side is head, heart, action. And across the top is to make your point, practice your point, and then apply your point. And so when I come to the chapters, I'll give the kind of rubric out. And um, I think because it's really heady looking, because it's a rubric and you have to fill this out, but it's, ex it's the framework that I learned when I was doing stand-up in, in New York and how you're set or how your, uh, your program or your keynote, no matter how long or short your set is, if it's three minutes long or 30 minutes long or an hour, you should be able to go through this whole rubric hitting um, and it's also interestingly uh, parlays nicely with adult learning but you should make a point you should help your audience practice that point and then 
help your audience apply the point to your their life. And I think that when stand-up comedy or comedy in general, the application is when they laugh. And so some people laugh at the point because they know exactly where you're going. Sometimes you have to kind of like lead them a little bit and you get a little bit more. And then the application is when they're actually seeing it happen in their own life or imagining it in their own life, you know? And um, I also heard this thing, I'm mixing all kinds of metaphors this morning, but I can because I'm on medicine. But um, it's about uh, a bag of popcorn. And so if your audience is a bag of popcorn, some kernels pop really early and they're yours. Some of them kind of pop kind of all at the same time. And that's like the energy of a joke. And the bag of popcorn, I think, can go with each point. And then some of them never pop and some of them go straight to burn. (laughs) They're just never, they're just not interested. You're not going to click with them. And so I think that a lot of times people are scared to add humor into their work or even really take the time to figure out humor because they only pay attention to the burned kernels. Or I've even had people tell me, well, they're laughing at the wrong time. Like when is the wrong time to laugh? That, that is, there is no wrong time to laugh, like go for it. But that, I think being able to kind of name the point. So even like Rick, we'll use what you just said about eating steak and then you're, you're segueing into a high cholesterol joke. So you're like naming the space you're bringing people into the room. You were also in that room and then you're making a point about it and you kind of apply it or practice it and then apply it and go through the rubric. So do you, um, do you have other kind of structures that you use or, cause I think a lot of people also who think they're not funny think that funny people are just randomly yakking. For people that don't do comedy when they see a comedian and I, I hear friends of mine tell me this all the time. It's like, I just thought that guy was naturally funny. And then I talked to him off, off stage and he, he wasn't as funny as he was on stage. And I'm like, that's because he's great. You know, he went up there and got rid of every single thing that wasn't necessary for you to get the joke and tell the joke. And so it's, it is making it look super easy. There's two kinds of comedians to me. There's the comedians where they get done and you're like, man, that person was great. I want to high five them after the show. Then there's the comedians that get done and you just want to go hug the person. You're like, wow, you let everything out right there. That, that was so authentic and real and you weren't holding nothing back. And I wasn't offended by anything. I was just like super connected. And that second group where you're super connected, those are the comedians that develop a, develop a following because mm-hmm. you're now in, involved with that person's life in some way. Like they hit you on a level where you want to come back in six months or a year and see them at the comedy club and see what's new. Like, how are they doing? You want to follow them on Twitter because they were so... Uh, unfiltered in a good way. Like here's exactly the way I see it. No extra words, boom. And you super connected. So whether you're a speaker and you're not even trying to be funny, that's, that's the same thing for you. You want to really connect on that level where they're engaged, you know, like you said, head, heart and hands or head, heart and action to where they're feeling it all the way through. So that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody's just trying to add a joke to their speech by watching this. But if you always think about, is this relevant to the audience, this punchline, does it make sense for them to hear this? Then you're going to be in that zone at least. I think it's a super important piece, that it, especially when people think that they're not funny or their content isn't funny, which, again, I talk about everything your grandmother told you not to talk about the dinner table, and I make it funny. You can make anything funny. But what I like to break about what you said is, is that if you're sticking in a joke, then 
people aren't going to connect with your whole presentation. It'll just be this kind of weird thing that showed up. Right. So it doesn't even have to be a whole comedy set, but your program needs to come from you. So Karen, what are you going to say? Um, couple of thoughts is um, contrast. I was thinking about, for me, one of the struggles that I had is I wasn't providing a contrast. I was trying to be funny all the time, keep it up here. But I've realized that the bigger the contrast, the bigger the laugh. Kind of like Rick was saying, you know, you want to use the least amount of words and you want to be super clear, but you want to get, you want to get kind of real with them. You can take it, you can take it a little bit low and then bring it back up for the punch. But sometimes when you take it low, you get those real, those real issues in there. You get the connection truths in there and then you add the misdirection and once once you kind of lead them to think a little bit differently than how we're trained to think that misdirection then it then it brings in that laugh but I love and maybe it's a personal thing but I love the contrast I love things that go down and up and I think that was because it was a mistake I was making as I was trying to be up all the time so contrast is a good a good thing well, and interestingly, I was just at Jason Hewlett's house and we were talking about providing the tempo of a show. When you're in your own content so much, sometimes it takes, you have to consciously stop and like either I can't stand watching video of myself. And so what I will do is I'll talk to the audience or I'll talk to people who were there or the next day I'll try to replay what I did and where the holes are in my memory tend to be either brand new material or my go-to stuff so that this is one of those things you're never supposed to admit but like i'm telling a story that i've told so many times that i can be up here thinking about what's actually happening while the radio is still playing and then i can check back in um but one of the things that jason and i were talking about was that when you go to a concert you don't want all of the fast songs together Right, like you need a fast song and a ballad and then some talking and then a fast song and some talking and a fast song and a ballad. And it's not just up and down, but it's interesting. And I think you do that with the, the contrast, to use the language. I think you do that with timing. I think you do that with content. I think you do that with emotions, like we talk about the roller coaster. So it's a lot of the same kind of pacing and timing. But again, if you think you're not funny, you think you're not doing this but it's really the same skill sets. Do y'all want to talk a little bit about, about timing and how you've learned when to speed things up or when to slow things down when you're prepping and when you're on the stage in the moment? Yeah, one thing I always try to remember is your comedy show, your speech, whatever it might be, is a dialogue with the audience. And so you tell your joke, they laugh, whether it's this much or this much, and you give them all that space before you start your next part of your joke, your tagline or your extra laugh or your next bit, and you allow it to be really organic. Every crowd is going to be slightly different than the crowd before and your next crowd. And if you're just in tune and you're listening, and a lot of times you, you want to get to the next laugh. I mean, comedians are really geared towards, I want to get a hundred laughs, you know, in five minutes and get out of here and blow the roof off the place. But that's that first type of comedian we were talking about. They're not really connecting on that second level. So the second level is where you have that dialogue. And so, I, you know, I'll kind of let the laugh hit, and maybe 40% before it hits the end, I'll start my next little thing. And that's, that's a natural ebb and flow. Sometimes, you know, you'll do that joke and then there's just, there's no reaction. And the tendency is to maybe speed on to the next thing, but maybe the reaction was right here and you didn't give them enough time to laugh. And you know your material and you know where the laugh should be. So you have to make those adjustments on the fly as the show's rolling. 
But the thing I've learned after 25 years is to, it's better to start a little slow and build because you want to get everybody on the train before you go 80 miles down the track than it is to go 80 miles down the track and wonder where everybody is. Cool. Good. I like that. I also have learned um, to lose your, use your voice um, using pauses. Like you can pause right before the punchline so you know they're catching it. And so that pause, just as Rick said, that pause after, because I have a tendency to want to just like fire up and keep going and jump right back in. But if you pause, and sometimes in my head, I have to count to three, like one, two, because it feels like it's taking forever on stage. So that pause makes a difference for me, but also knowing I can use my voice and I can use the microphone to get laughs when things are funny, because for part of misdirection is, is that surprise and so you can surprise them using your voice even like you can take it in one level and then you can go leap deeper with your voice on your punchline or just there's certain things you can do with your voice to add to that experience of surprise so pauses and voice tone good things yeah if i can add on to that really quick is don't forget all the funny stuff that god gave you right here in your face you know there's a lot of times where a reaction instead of saying it is doing one of these deals and letting that laugh marinate a little bit before you hit your next punchline. You know, it's not necessarily milking the laugh. It's just making sure you're using everything that's right there. And there's some comics that are very comfortable in doing that. Some speakers that are comfortable doing that. Some that aren't. If you're one of those that aren't, I would definitely experiment with it a little bit because you could be missing out on that extra laugh every single time you tell a joke just by using the reaction. And sometimes that reaction is of the person in the joke you were talking about. Maybe it's their reaction to what you said. It could be your reaction to what they said, or you could use your face as the reaction of the audience. You know, how the audience responds to that joke, you be right there with them, you know. If you think about Jim Gaffigan, he's got that voice of the audience in his head, and then he speaks the voice of the audience out. It's a great technique, and anybody that uses it now kind of feels like they're ripping off Jim Gaffigan, but that was there before him. He's just made the most out of it. So uh, reaction from you, the person you're talking to, or the audience, extra ways to get a laugh without saying a thing. And I would challenge anybody listening to this, assuming somebody someday is listening to this, <laughs> it, I, you can feel it. And so I, I know I'm a really action-oriented person, but when I'm on stage, even if I'm not being funny, I'm delivering content right now, which I think it's such a misnomer that those are somehow separate, right? But whatever, that's a different talk or whatever. Yeah. But when I, when, when I say something that is supposed to be funny, which there's a key there. And sometimes I say things I didn't even know that was going to be funny. Sometimes I just, I literally misspeak and like the, the irony of what I'm saying, or like I'm accidentally calling back a different speaker at the event that I didn't even re like, I've told that story so many times. I didn't even make that connection. The audience makes that connection. So like slowing down allows those things to pop up. And when, when I feel them popping up, the way, that, the way that I articulate this and people roll their eyes at me, but I, I promise next time you're on a stage, even if it's serious, pay attention to this. But a reaction happens in the audience. For me to hear it, it means it's somewhere at the beginning of the audience. So it might happen in the middle and roll forward. I have now gotten the message that something funny has occurred, right? So then my face is like, Whoa! right, or something. And then, and you also need to be able to make faces that don't make noises. So, waha, if I can make noise or makes the same thing, because I don't want to make any noise over their laugh. Right. So it comes forward. I've been informed something's funny. 
the laugh will roll out. And just as it gets to the last row where humans are sitting, it'll start rolling forward. And if you pay attention to this, and then it goes back out, and then just as it's coming, hit them with the next piece. So I think that that really helps with the, with the timing. Another thing that I often talk about, and this is kind of getting into comebacks. Um, so the way that I interpret, like, what's your favorite comeback, um, which is a question I get asked a lot, is that there's, that's a huge question, right? So there's, there's the type of comebacks that will make them laugh so that I can think about where am I going. There's the type of comeback that is quippy and in the moment, and I call that a cheese grater, so remind me where I'm going, cheese grater. Um, but then there's also the comebacks that I think are um, callbacks to your own information, things that have happened at this event. As far as talking about callbacks, and you know, the quick definition is just referring back to something that got a laugh earlier or a situation that happened earlier in the show. Uh, I always look for those opportunities even during sound check, I look at the room. I look at what's on the, on the curtain behind me or the projector, what's going to be on the screen or anything that looks odd that they're going to notice on the way in. Uh, maybe even about the hotel. Here in Nashville, we have Opryland Hotel, which is like this little Googleplex, you know, glassed-in aquarium place. We've all been there. And so I'll do jokes about, hey, how about the size of this hotel, you know? I called the front desk and got roaming charges. So just try to make little jokes that, there's no pressure on that joke to be that much funny. You're just connecting with the audience, leading into things. But then once the show starts, anything that happens early is game for calling back later. So uh, my favorite one, I guess, I'll tell you real quick so uh, we can move forward. But I was working on a cruise ship, and we ported up in Honduras for the day. And for some reason, electricity went out on the cruise ship, and we were supposed to pull out at 5. It took us till 8.30 before we left the dock, and I had a show at 9.00. So the whole time, they've never addressed this on the PA system at all. And I feel like as the comedian, if I say something to, you know, make everybody aware of what happened or what caused it, maybe I can get a big laugh. So my opening joke was, uh, it was great being in Honduras today. We got to spend some extra time there. I bought this little lamp made out of a conch shell, and I plugged it into my room, and I knocked out the power on this entire ship. And it, it was like a minute-long laugh because nobody had said anything about it the whole time. So... One little comedy technique, we talked about contrast, but there's also tension and then release. And so from 5 o'clock all the way to 9 o'clock, there's four hours of tension. Why aren't we sailing? Why haven't we gone anywhere else? And then, boom, I get to finally release that tension. So it was a big laugh because there was this much distance between it. So always look for opportunities to own a, own a mistake, even if it's not yours, and you can get a big laugh out of it. That is hysterical. It was pretty funny. Do you all have any kind of last-minute tips or thoughts or suggestions or anything? I'll just say this really quickly is if you're trying to get comedy or humor in there for the first time, do whatever it takes to get it in there. So you don't sit here a year from now wondering why you haven't got it in there. Uh, a lot of times when people start, they kind of emulate their favorite comedians. You know, there's, I know a lot of speakers do a list that's kind of like a Jeff Foxworthy list where it's like, you might be this if you're doing this. And that's okay at the beginning, you know, to get those training wheels on, to get that bike moving. But after a while, let all the other stuff go and just concentrate on finding what's funny about you and amping that up to a thousand percent. But don't, don't wait for that to happen. Do whatever you need to do to get into the system right away and, and start experimenting with humor. And then as you get going, be more yourself. Mm, totally agree. 
And I, I started with it, but I see so many people that don't move forward because it's so scary and they don't think they're funny. And as someone who's been there, really, I just want to encourage you to try. Just try a line here or there. Just don't be afraid to try it. Rick, what about you, Master? Well, again, it is about just putting it into to practice. So when, before you even hit stop on this thing or however it ends up, Start thinking about what you can do next. Think of one little thing you can do to add a laugh to your show. Uh, one little place, maybe where your stories kind of sag a little bit. Find out where you can put in that spot to kind of punch it up a little bit. Think about, if nothing else, if you have a hard time thinking about, how am I going to write about comedy? What's, what's funny? Isolate the times in your day where your attitude changes. If you're a happy-go-lucky person, but you get angry twice a day, stop. Write down what made you angry. Analyze why you got angry. And there's probably some humor in why you reacted that way. So anytime your mood changes a lot, that's a great place to stop and figure out what was funny about that because we all experience emotion. And if you write a joke about that, people will identify with the emotion, even if they don't identify with the circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is, is your partner, your kids, your friends, etc. Ask them, when's the last time I made you laugh? And for some people, it might be, well, you're asking me this question, so that's making me laugh. But what I think is funny about that question is that as, like, I'm a really funny person, my husband does not laugh at 90% of the stuff that I say. But it's because he's heard me practice the same bits hundreds and hundreds of times. But even if it's a practiced bit and he still laughs at it, that's a winner. Yeah. Like, that's a winner. And I think that I think we underestimate the value of the people who listen to us all the time. Um, I also think it's important, and this goes back to something Karen said too, but when did you make you laugh? When did something happen that you like break that fourth wall and you're giggling into the microphone and you have to be like, y'all, I'm at work. Let's get it together. And you have to get back into speaker mode. You need to take note of those things because if it makes you laugh, you're going to be able to deliver that even better. So. Thank you very much, y'all. See you guys. Well, there you go. Very fun conversation with two very bright and smart ladies, uh, Karen Eddington and Jess Pettit. Thanks for letting me use that audio as a podcast. I appreciate you guys letting me do that. And I will link to both of them in the show notes so you can find out more about them and the various programs they offer. Uh, But two very sharp speakers and comedians. You want to check them out and get to know them for sure. All right, about to wrap up here. If you do want to take that writing class, I know New Year's resolutions are on everybody's mind. Might as well do it now. Get the techniques under your belt so you don't have to wonder why things aren't funny. That's the number one thing I can't tell you enough is after this course, you'll know why your jokes are funny. You'll know why the ones that aren't getting a laugh aren't. And you'll also know why those 50-50 jokes, the jokes that work half the time, are only working half of the time. And when you're armed with that kind of technique and skill set, uh, it makes writing jokes so much easier. So if you feel like you're banging your head against a wall not making any progress, now's the time. I'll give you 20% off to help you get in there. It's uh, You just go to schooloflast.com, click on the online comedy class link. It'll have all the information, the different uh, various types of the class that you can take. There's one where you just download it, uh, you watch the videos, and you self-pace yourself. There's another one where you download all that stuff, and I give you feedback on your material. Then there's a third level where you can also get feedback, and I'll watch some video of you performing. So at whatever level you need help, I'm there to help you with it. Again, schooloflast.com, the online comedy class link. And when you click through and go to checkout, enter that code BETTERCOMEDY for 20% off 
of that course. All right, thanks again for listening. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.